0: Okay, so we're continuing then in John's Gospel, and uh, this is week 20, and uh, the title is Our Times Are in His Hands. So we're going to get straight into it. Um, John chapter 7, we're starting this week. John chapter 7. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him now we just stop there for a moment and uh just remind you the last three weeks or so we've been looking at the ministry of Jesus in Galilee he ministered um you know in Galilee then then he crossed over the lake and they came around or they crossed over in boats and the multitudes followed him and he fed the 5,000 plus and uh then he went back over the other side of the lake and they came back they just wanted to be with him but he told them you know you're following me most of you for the wrong reason because of the bread that you know you were fed because of the miracles and so on and um, then you know he he said to them i'm the bread of life unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood you have no life in you and from that point many turned back and walked away from him Uh, But that was the end of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. He didn't minister in Galilee anymore after that. But he walked in Galilee because he did not want to go down to Judea. Why? Because the Jews sought to kill him. Now, I was actually encouraged by that when I read that this week. I'll tell you why. I was invited to um, speak in a country. I won't mention the name of the country. This last week, and to take a conference and speak in a local church, And uh, I'd heard that, you know, it was not safe to go to this country. So I said to the pastor, is is it safe for me to come? Oh, yeah, he said, no problem, no problem at all. So anyway, after I would finished having a conversation with him, I just checked online, you know, and uh, this particular country, do not go there. (laughs) If you are there, leave as soon as you can. (laughs) So I thought, well, that settles it for me. I'm not going. (laughs) And then, of course, you hear that little voice of condemnation, so you're afraid to lay down your life for Jesus, are you? Well, then I read this. Jesus did not go to Judea because he knew they, were, they wanted to kill him. And, uh, you know, he said in, in another place, if they persecute you in one city, flee to another. I remember we used to sing a song or a hymn, it was actually, Let Me, let me Burn Out for ye, Thee, dear Lord. Wear out, burn out for Thee. But then I thought, Why? <laughs> Isn't it better to burn on for Jesus? And, and you know, when you look at the Bible in the Old Testament, yeah, God was into dead sacrifices, but now we're a living sacrifice. Amen? In fact, um, recently, uh, Methuselah has been my role model. <laughs> And my favourite song is Staying Alive. <laughs> Amen. So here we see Jesus, this is, in fact, this is really, you know, I mean, we can, we can be humorous, but this is getting to our theme. Our theme is that our times are in his hands. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean to say I can walk out on the main road and stand in front of a truck and say, it's okay, my times are in God's hands, I'm not going to go into it's God's time. It doesn't mean that. And Jesus knew that. He knew that there was a time for him to go and that his time had not come and so there was, it was time to minister time to preach and to teach and so on until that time when he should lay down his life and that's the same dear friends for you and for i not only concerning how long we will be here that's true that our times are in his hands not in the hands of a medical Report, not in the hands of Satan or fate or any of these things. Accidents, our times are in his hands. And that's a comforting thing to know that we're in the hands of God and he determines our times on earth. Amen. Let's read on. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing, for no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for even his brothers did not believe him in him." Okay, now, Jesus', Jesus brothers did not believe in him until after the resurrection. They believed in his miracles, they saw his miracles, but they did not believe that he was the Messiah until after the resurrection. After he was raised from the dead. And then we know that his brothers, at least some of them, did believe. James, who wrote the epistle of James, that was the brother of Jesus. And he was recognized in those days as being like the head of the church at Jerusalem. Jude is another one who wrote the the epistle of Jude. He was a brother of Jesus. But none of them believed that he was the Messiah until after the resurrection. Now, Since he did most of his miraculous works in Galilee, it gave the religious leaders in Jerusalem another reason to say that he wasn't the Messiah. What they would say is, oh look, okay, we're hearing all this noise and commotion about Jesus of Nazareth, but that's up there. If he was to come down here where there are trained rabbis who know the law, who know the scriptures, we would tie him in knots. That was the thing. The Galilee, they're not very educated up there, so he can get away with saying all these things and so on. And so that was a, what they were saying is go, go to Jerusalem and, and get known. Also, of course, as we saw last week, many Galilean disciples turned away from him. He peaked in his ministry. And uh, it's like his brothers were saying, well, you've done all you can here. It's time to go to Jerusalem and really get known. You're wasting your time here. Go to Jerusalem. If you are really the Christ, why would you want to remain in obscurity? Now is your chance to get known. Go to the capital city and perform miracles there. So they were trying to urge him to go there. Show yourself to the world is what they said. And that's the philosophy of the people of the world, isn't it? sad that often that's brought into the church is that we've got a big note ourselves we've got to go big present ourselves big and uh uh, you know try to get people to be attracted to us because we're lifting ourselves up and more people can see us show yourself to the world that's the philosophy of the world It's, it's quite interesting i think it was the beginning of last year i felt the lord just impress upon my heart that we would begin to see the, the decline of celebrity Christianity. You know, the fact that we're trying to be like the world and put on a stage production and, and, and live like celebrities or, you know, uh, present that kind of image, I should say, um, is that's not going to work. In the kind of ages and times that we're living in now, the difficult times, the trying times, we need real Christianity, real relationship with God and jesus was not moved by this show yourself to the world thing in fact he he later on goes on to say unless a grain of wheat actually falls into the ground and dies it abides alone you might just think about a grain of wheat you know attached to a stalk of wheat and just swaying with the wind in all its glory and the sun shining upon it but then a grain falls off that stalk into the ground not long after it loses its beautiful shiny golden coat and it just dies decomposes but then all of a sudden out of that comes new life many more grains that's the way god works that's god's work he's built that into creation itself and and, uh, as in the natural so it is in the spiritual Jesus was never moved by this kind of... In fact, that was one of the temptations, wasn't it? When he was uh, uh, tempted by the devil, one of the temptations was throw yourself down from, you know, the temple heights. And then he quoted the scripture. It's written, he shall send his angels to have charge over you and they will catch you in their wings lest you dash your foot against the stone. What a way to start a ministry. eh? Jump off... (laughs) you know, a high place and the angels will come down. Everyone will see the angels come down and just cushion the blow and they'll know you're from God. But Jesus did not succumb to that kind of thing. He just let God. Now, God's not against greatness, by the way. I mean, you look back through the Bible, there are many great men and women of God that we just thank God for what he did through them. Down through the history of the church, many great men and women of God. God is not against greatness as long as he is the architect of it. Amen? Because he said to Abraham, I will bless you and make your name great in the earth. That's God doing that. But it's when it's self-manufactured, when we try to to build ourselves up, big note ourselves, that's what God is against. And that's what the the, the brothers of Jesus were saying to him. It's time to get on the big stage now and uh, play to the gallery, as it were, And let everybody see you. Jesus said to them, this is where we come back to our theme again. My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. Isn't that interesting? My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. Jesus was not an opportunist and did not live according to the whims and wishes of the people, but according to his father's will and timetable everything was governed by what his father wanted but for those who are not submitted to the father they do what they want when they want it's quite interesting uh, you know i advertised the the title for this week on my facebook page and uh, a lady who's been following us in america said that she um she said she didn't know what passage i was speaking about or, or, or about this verse especially But she said that's that's so true our times as god's people are in his hands but but the people of the world it doesn't apply to them and that's the exact thing that that uh, jesus was saying here your time is always ready in the father's time the whole world would know about him but he didn't need to try to uh, preempt that he didn't try to didn't need to push that and make it happen Uh, but because if you're not in christ you're not governed by the will of God you're not you're not sort of uh, that principle does not apply to you but we are we're the people of God and our times are in his hands what, what does that mean it means that God's working all things all things in our lives there's no coincidences there's no accidents there's nothing that is just kind of inconsequential all things are working together According to him, who, uh, to him who is, who is called, according to the purposes of God, we are in the purposes of God. Amen, amen. You know, you think about, um, for example, Joseph. Joseph, uh, when he was in prison, and uh, the butler had a dream, dream. You remember, and Joseph interpreted the dream wonderfully, and it all came to pass. Everything he said. And the butler was so thankful and Joseph said, now when you get out, remember me to your boss, who was Pharaoh, because I'm here unjustly. I was wrongly accused. I shouldn't be here. And, and you know the fact that God has spoken to me and, and, and accurately predicted your future proves that God is on my side. Give a word to, to Pharaoh. He said, I'm your man. <laughs> but he got out and he forgot all about him straight away. Two years went by two years and then what happened pharaoh had a dream and he was just in turmoil he knew it was there's some significance about it and nobody could interpret it and then the butler says ah now i remember there's a man in prison who interprets dreams and within three minutes they had joseph out of prison standing in front of of the greatest man the most powerful man in the world at that time now think if joseph if 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 that butler put in a word for joseph two years earlier he would have gone out what would he have done the first thing he would have done is gone home to see his father again he wanted to be back with his father he wanted to be in egypt wanted to be back with his father and he would never have been used in the great purposes that God had for him but he must have been thinking you know like often we pray don't we we pray about our circumstances we say Lord help me please in this situation get me out and now would be a good time (laughs) in fact I would say now would be the best time to do that but our times are in his hands and uh, in the father's time the whole world would know about him but because they were saying you know get known get on the big stage everyone will know about you well in, in God's time the whole world will know the whole world, literally the whole world, will know about Jesus. But first, the cross. First, Jesus needed to die for our sins so that we could be forgiven and, and, and go to be with God forever and eternity. Then the preaching of the gospel by which people hear the good news and respond to it. Then, then he's coming in glory. Then the whole world will know about it. That's the Father's time. That, that time is yet to come. We, we think it's fast approaching, but it's yet to, yet to come. Jesus spoke about it. He said, then the, sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Why would all the tribes of the earth mourn? His coming in glory is also His coming in judgment. If he did what his brethren asked, none would be saved. If, if, he, if that moment of him being exhorted before the whole world had come when the, his brothers wanted it, then he would be judged. He wouldn't have gone to the cross. There would have been no salvation. We, we would not be sitting here today rejoicing, singing those beautiful songs of our salvation. Revelation 1 verse 7 says, Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye, will see him, even those they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Thank God the wish of Jesus' brothers did not come to pass because Jesus was submitted to his father's time. First the cross, then the preaching of the gospel, then his coming back. Then he said, the world cannot hate you but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not yet going up to the feast for my time has not yet fully come. See how he's governed by this? My time has not yet fully come. When he said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. Remember these, these brothers of Jesus were not saved. So he said, the world cannot hate you. There's no danger of your incurring the world's hatred because you are in the world and you are of the world. Friends, I'll tell you this. If you and I are abiding in Christ and if we're walking in the Spirit, you can guarantee two things will take place. Number one, you will bear fruit. You will bear fruit. If you abide in Him, you walk in the Spirit, you will be a fruitful Christian. Amen. Number two, you will be hated, <laughs> you will be hated. Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you. And it might not necessarily be persecution because you're preaching the gospel directly. It might not be that, but, but you will find people will come to you and just pour hate upon you for no reason, for no reason, because it's, it's the devil working through them because he hates you, because you belong to Christ. But the world cannot hate the unbeliever in that way. Okay, let's let's move on. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? So, okay, he's left Galilee, okay, and he's going now to Jerusalem, but he went up secretly. After his brothers left, he went First of all, he had to go to fulfill the law. You know, in Deuteronomy 16:16, 16, 16, it says that every Jew, according to the law, within that 15 miles or whatever it was, radius of Jerusalem, had to go up to the three major feasts every year. Now, Jesus, in the fullness of time, he was made of a woman, made under the law, born under the law. Why? So that he could fulfill the law. He fulfilled every part of it. Jesus never broke the law. He might have broke the traditions of the elders, which were just their religious things, but he never broke the law, the law. And one of the commandments of the law was that he had to go to the Feast of Tabernacles. So he went to fulfill that. He fulfilled everything that God asked of man in the law. And then he incurred the penalty for every broken law on himself or sin came up judgment for all sin came upon him so he fulfilled the law this is a part of him fulfilling the law now thing is he went up in secret and at his father's time what that means is that when when people traveled in those days they would generally go like in a caravan or on a group of people for safety reasons okay to protect one another along the road from thieves and robbers and so it was generally expected that if, so, if you knew that somebody was coming to see you, they'd be coming in one of these caravans and you'd be there waiting. There'd be word going, OK, the next group is coming. And people would be standing there waiting to see if their relative or their friend had arrived. And so when this caravan of people coming from Galilee to the feast arrived, who was there waiting for them? The Jewish leaders. They thought he's coming down he's coming here he's got to come and they, they expected him to come but he was not in that group they looked through the whole group he was not there that's why they said you know where is he but then he came later secretly not in a group on his own that jesus's enemies were watching for him to arrest him but was it was not his time This is the last time he would see Galilee, he's left Galilee now until after the resurrection. So everything now that we're reading in John right up to the crucifixion and until the resurrection all takes place in Judea and especially Jerusalem. And there was much complaining amongst the people concerning him. Some said he is good, others said no. On the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Some said he was a good man, others that he used his good deeds to deceive. So actually that's what an Orthodox Jew today would say about Jesus. If you get into a conversation about Jesus, you you discuss all the good things he did, how he healed the sick, how he taught, you know, and set the captives free and, and said so many beautiful things. They would say, yes, but that's what he used to deceive people to make him think that he was a good man, you see? And so this is, people were divided. Okay, yeah, we can't deny he's a good man, but but is this goodness in order to deceive? Those who favoured him were intimidated by the leaders from showing their support. So they wouldn't speak openly of their support lest they were excommunicated. But on the other hand, the leaders did not want to, arrest him because there was this support from many of the people and that they could turn against them and so the people were divided but they didn't know what to do with him the jewish hierarchy didn't arrest him openly because of his popularity with the crowds now about the middle of the feast okay the feast was about eight days seven days and then they added another one on at the end eight days so about the middle of the feast Jesus went up. So after about four days, Jesus went up secretly when nobody was expecting him. The big group had already gone and arrived. Uh, And he went into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled saying, how did this man, or does this man know letters having never studied? It's a very interesting point. The people marveled that he knew the scriptures so well, having never attended the rabbinical school. Some concluded he must be teaching his own ideas. Now, that's a very important thing. You know, the more I pondered this, this statement, I thought this. It's almost like, um, you know, Christianity or theology, if you like, is the one, probably the one subject where it's not necessarily a good thing to be qualified or to be credentialed. Amazing. I mean, like if I go to see a doctor, I want to know their credential, that they've gone through school, they've got their education right, and they've been trained and so on. If I go to see a lawyer, I want to know that he knows what he's talking about. Amen? But when it comes to theology, the tragedy is, and I've seen this and I've, I've known this, you can go through a theological training school and not learn the main thing not learn and be taught and trained in the finished work of christ and the fact that everything flows out of that you can miss the main point i know that for a fact you get a lot of bible knowledge in fact in many cases when people say they're going to bible school i don't get excited i think well you're probably going to have a lot of unlearning to do when you come out a lot of unlearning that's a fact of the matter and and this is the case with jesus they could not understand How he could speak these words of life with authority, and he hadn't been to one of the rabbinical schools. And wasn't that the same with the the disciples, just fishermen, just, you know, common people? Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. That was the difference. That was the difference same with Paul although Paul was a little bit of a different situation Paul says but I make known to you brethren that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ in fact Paul was one of those who had to unlearn he went he sat at the feet of Gamaliel who was the big teacher of that time of the law You know, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, set apart to the law. He said, but those things that I learned that they're now done to me, they're they're refuse. they're they're useless. I I set it all aside for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. And, and, And this is what they just could not understand. Jesus was coming out with these words of life. People were gathering around saying he speaks with authority. The difference between the contemporary teachers and Jesus was this. They said, thus says the Lord. They quoted the prophets. This is what Isaiah says. Amos said this, and they would quote the scriptures. Jesus said, I say unto you, I say unto you. He spoke with authority. That's what they meant when they said, "You know, he speaks differently, he speaks with authority. If they could have condemned Jesus on some false doctrine or wrong understanding of Scripture, they would have. But that's the thing that just really got through them. He expounded the Scriptures so powerfully and so accurately, they couldn't find fault. So since they could not do that, what did they do? They attacked his credentials. Oh, he's not been to school. So he's making all this stuff up. He's got, he's got no authority to say these things. Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. And no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? There's a lot in that. Let's just have a look. What he's saying is, uh, let's go back to that. First of all, he's saying my doctrine is not mine. It's, it's from God. It's from God. And uh, one of the prophecies of the Old Testament is that under the new covenant, we will be taught by God. Everyone will be taught by God. And, and, and anyone can read the scriptures and, and know the truth. It's not like you've got to come to church and I tell you what you must believe. I can expound the scriptures. But you're taught by God. The Holy Spirit tells you what is truth and what is not truth. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's an amazing thing. The thing that changed my life is that I listened to people who had been taught by God about the finished work of Christ. And my eyes were open and the more I could see that, then as I began to study, the, the, you know, the Lord was teaching me these things. And that's what Jesus is saying. So he goes on to say this, that if you want, if anyone wills to do his will, he will know concerning the doctrine. If anyone comes with, with a, a hungry heart, a genuine, honest heart saying, Lord, I want to know the truth, show me the truth. I'm prepared to change. I'm prepared to change my mind and and my understanding if you'll show me the truth. You come with that attitude, God will surely speak. Only those with a right heart and attitude will know that it is from God. That attitude is one of humility and willingness to obey. I quoted these two verses last week. Um, Psalm 25 verse 9 promises the humble... He guides in justice and the humble, he teaches his way. And then Jesus said to the, uh, concerning the disciples, Jesus answered, said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes, those that are willing to learn and listen. The real reason for for people not believing Jesus then is a heart problem. Even atheism, I believe, honestly, with all my heart, that it's, it is a heart problem. It's not, it's not a problem of the mind. You know, the Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Literally, it means that the fool has said in his heart no God. Shut God out. There's a no world without God. And then he looks to his mind to support that desire. Looks, You know, all these arguments of evolution and so on those who seek their own glory do not really want to know God's will so they will twist the truth to suit their purpose they will look for arguments rather than answers have you met people like that you're having a discussion you think they want to know the truth they ask you a question you give them the answer to that does that convince them no they find another trick question to try to stump you then they feel that's it good i've got him now i've got her and i can go away and in their smugness and so on that that's that's what jesus is referring to here they will look for arguments rather than answers the pharisees sought the praise of men one not sent from god seeks his own glory they loved the praise of men they loved their position they loved the way that people looked up to them and, and admired their piety and so on and they they just sought the praise of men. If they really loved the law, Jesus said, why did they seek to kill him? That's what, that was Jesus' last question there. The law commands, you should not murder. They were, they were so, you know, like um, sticklers for the law. Sabbath and so on. And yet, as Jesus said, they strained at a gnat and swallowed a camel. They wanted to murder him. They were planning and plotting. One of the great commandments is, thou shalt not kill. No logic. No logic in them. The people answered, this is not the necessarily the Jewish leaders, the people answered and said, You have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, and you all marvel. Moses, he's talking there about the he's back now in Jerusalem, he's talking about healing that man that was lamed on the Sabbath day. And 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 uh, they were just up in arms because it was the Sabbath. I did one work and and you all marvel. moses therefore gave you circumcision not that it's from moses but from the fathers and you circumcise a man on the sabbath day because you know they, they they um had to circumcise on the eighth day after birth and as i understand it that is the day when the blood begins to congeal so if there's a cut it will congeal rather than just keep flowing out and it's amazing because that was back then you know the beginning of the time as it were and yet God knew these things said on the eighth day you circumcise but sometimes the eighth day fell on the Sabbath you see so if a man received circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath do not judge according to appearance but judge with righteous judgment People were unaware of the intention of the rulers to kill Jesus. They thought demons had given him a persecution complex. Who wants to kill you? The only mention of of demons is in John's gospel is when Jesus was accused of having one. Matthew, Mark and Luke, they're always casting out demons. But the only mention of demons in John's gospel is when Jesus was accused of having a demon. The only miracle of Jesus they were interested in, in... Is the healing of the man on the sabbath they keep coming back to that you you can't be from god you broke the sabbath and because circumcision had to be on the eighth day after birth it was permitted on the sabbath a little operation like circumcision was permitted on the sabbath but not the healing of a a lame man that was the hypocrisy i say a little circumcision i don't know it's like when you say how so-and-so always had a minor operation Yeah, minor for you, you didn't have it. (laughs) Okay. Anyway. Now, some of them from Jerusalem said, Is this not he who they sought to kill? But look, he speaks boldly and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers indeed uh, know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, we know where this man is from. But when the Christ comes, no one knows where he's from. The locals, however, knew that the authorities wanted to kill him, okay? So the ones that said, you know, who's wanting to kill you, they were the the visitors, the pilgrims that were in Jerusalem for this feast. The locals were very much aware that Jesus was wanted by the authorities. Why hadn't they arrested him? Because the crowd was still divided. Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, you both know me, And you know where I am from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. His times were in God's hands. And many of the people believed in him and said, when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? Okay, let me just finish up by saying this. This is, this is the, from the thinking of, of uh, the Jews there. Malachi 3 1 says that God's messenger will come suddenly to the temple. He'll appear out of nowhere. Okay, so they, they were expecting the Messiah, but that he would just come out of the clouds, as it were, and appear suddenly. This led to their tradition that the Messiah would come out of nowhere to show himself to Israel. They thought, A, no one would know where the Messiah's come from. That's one of their thinkings. B, they knew, this is what they thought, Jesus was from Nazareth. They were wrong on both counts. The scriptures in contrast to their tradition foretold the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And two, Jesus asserts his true origin that he was sent from God, he didn't come from Nazareth. He was sent from God. Now, now the problem there was that, as I've said before, the prophets foretold the coming of Jesus, but they did not understand there would be two comings, the first advent and the second advent. In fact, I was speaking to someone recently who's been sharing with a Jewish person. And what's the best way to, to share with a Jewish person, an Orthodox Jew? Instead of getting into lots of arguments, just say this one thing, the difference between you and I is this, you believe the Messiah will come, we believe he has come. That's the big difference, amen? Now, we believe he's coming back, but they only saw these prophecies of grandeur, you know, the Messiah coming, the whole world looking upon him, not this humble coming as a babe in Bethlehem, growing up in his humanity, then going to the cross. They they couldn't see that in the scripture. His enemies then wanted to take him but could not because his hour had not yet come. God was in control, not them. Our times are in his hands. Your times are in his hands. Thank God for that. We are not governed by fate. We're not governed by by sickness, by the devil, by any of those things. It doesn't mean to say we throw our lives away foolishly. Obviously, we have a responsibility. But thank God, nobody can take us prematurely. We will go when it's his time, just as it was with Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for the word of God. And we just thank you for this wonderful sovereignty of God that we rejoice in today. That, Lord, our lives are in your hands. You are God and you are the God of our lives. And we thank you, Lord, that as we entrust ourselves to you, we know that you know the perfect timing not only for our, our time to depart this world but in all that is taking place in our lives the circumstances we're going through the trials that we endure the promises that you have given to us we thank you that lord all of these are in your hands and we rest in that today in the name of jesus amen